from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public service professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Bruno Barron, Stephanie Hitt, Charles Lipson, Tom Scher, and Kenny Rahmeyer from KLBJ Radio in Austin, Texas. Good evening, everybody. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8029 is the phone number. 1-800-723-8029. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. You want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web at www.beyondthebeltway.com. And also... Uh, join us on our Facebook page, beyondthebeltway.com, uh, and you will find us there. And uh, this program is also live every night, every Sunday night, on Facebook. So if you're watching us on Facebook, you can also respond to the show and join the conversation, as we have been doing for the last several weeks. There is so much to talk about. Um, we are going to begin by the, the, the tragic shooting again uh, in Santa Fe, Texas. A little bit later on, we're going to hear from Kenny Rahmeyer. He is with KLBJ Radio. He's going to give us a perspective uh, from Austin, Texas, which is one of our leading affiliates. But I want to get reaction from everyone to just just another another school shooting. Stephanie, hit you are a a mother. Uh, your reaction? Well, and it's interesting because I was I was on the show when Sandy Hook happened, um, you know, back a few years ago. So I feel like this is becoming a an all too common topic. But it's also interesting because we've seen two very different situations evolving school shootings this week. Because here in Dixon, Illinois, there was someone who was prepared to do great harm and damage and was held off by an armed security guard. And then we look at a school that had somewhat hardened access by having armed security guards where someone did slip through and, and wreak havoc. And so now I think the discussion is going to start turning towards how do we harden our schools. 30 other guests this evening is Tom Scher. Tom, nice to have you with us. Good to be with you, Bruce. Uh, you're, a, you're a veteran uh, anchor, reporter in, in Chicago, now in public relations. But 30 years ago today, America heard the name Lori Dan. That was a school shooting in Winnetka, Illinois, uh, and, and you were one of the first reporters on the scene. So that was one of the very first, if not the first. Obviously, there was the, the shooting at, at, in Texas. The uh, college. Uh, the yeah, college. Right. But this was, this was an elementary school. You yeah. were there, and, and, and there's been, what, 60, 70 such stories since that time. That's, that's the shock of it all, really. 30 years ago, when the Hubbard Woods School, an elementary school in Winnetka, Illinois, just north of Chicago, was the scene of that school shooting. Multiple children struck. One died. Nikki Corwin, God rest his soul. Um, we never, ever would have thought that this would happen again or frequently again. And yet we've had about 20 incidents of shots fired in schools this year, I believe. I think it's 22 now. Uh, and we're not even halfway through the year. It's, it's shocking. It's, it's devastating to think that you can't have schools be safe. But I don't know that the schools are unsafe. I think the issue happens before the shooter even gets to the school. Bruno Barron also joins us. Bruno, nice to have you with us. Thank you. How much of this, in your view, is a copycat phenomenon? It's interesting because in in preparation for the show, I actually dug through and found a very, very good article. It's by David French in the National Review, and he recounts Malcolm Gladwell, the author, um, writing about this after Columbine. 
And he talked about the three or four before Columbine, but he basically said Columbine set a different stage. And the theory of this David French article is that we're in the middle of what he would call a slow-motion riot. And the first person to break a glass storefront in a riot is the they're the they're the they're the leaders, but then it makes it easier for the second person, and it makes it easier for the third person. And the next thing you know, there's a riot. And what we have here, I think, it was a very good article, and I think it it gets away from the Second Amendment debate and all the other debates that we have over these horrible incidences, and it starts talking about how not only are they copycat, Bruce, but the the level of acceleration and the level of similarity kind of illustrates that this Malcolm Gladwell theory is actually very accurate. Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago. You're also a father. Your reaction? I find these things both incredibly depressing and incredibly repetitive, as you say. I mean, you can almost, uh, and, and of course the news coverage, <coughs> excuse me, and the political debates are exactly the same each time. Uh, we'll almost certainly begin to do what we did in response to terrorism, which is to begin to harden the sites. But once you do that, then these school shooters might just go to the mall or go downtown or go somewhere else. I'm also struck by the mental health uh, issues of this. And Stephanie and I were talking before, uh, before we went on air about the issue of parental the, the parents, where are they when kids are building weapons at home, collecting? But in this particular yeah. case, it was the father. I mean, yeah. these, these were weapons that were purchased legally. Yes. They were in the house legally. Right. And the kid took them illegally or legally. Right. And, and so in this particular case, right. all, all of the, the common denominators aren't that really common. I think it's important to note that in this case, these were not automatic weapons. Right. There were no right. bump stocks, none of that. Had that been the case, had they had the weapons, the automatic or semi-automatic weapons used in other shootings, this would have been an even worse tragedy, and 10 people dead in Texas is horrible enough. Um, also, uh, Lori Dan targeted her school 30 years ago because she had a vendetta against a family. She went to the school looking for two kids yeah. who ironically were gone on a field trip that day. But all these others, there's either someone who feels wrong like this kid who thought he was who, who was yeah. bullied. I don't know if you, I haven't read a lot of the whether he was or not, but well, I, he was rejected. There was a story this afternoon that okay. some some girl rejected him recently. Right, right. She, and she, she he embarrassed him her. in class, and he went after her, and he she killed? was the first one shot. That's that. Well, you know, when I grew up in Mississippi, everybody had access to rifles. I mean, so the idea that you could come in, not everybody had handguns, although there were handguns in a lot of parents' home. They brought. My dad brought, you know, home from World War II. But everybody could have come in, and there were plenty of people who were embarrassed and so forth. But like you said, Bruno, nobody broke the glass first. Right. That's, that's, Bruno's got a great point. The schools are now the preferred venue for this sickness. That's really... Yeah, well, and I'd, I'd, I'll, I'll, give the, I'll give the credit to David French of the National Review, but thanks for, for mentioning it. They, the, the interesting thing is, that they talked about here, Bruce, was that... Um, and it was a very scary. I mean, the article's depressing, but he basically says the scary thing is that Klebold and and Hawk and whatever their guy was, the Columbine guys, they were they okay the Columbine. That's a big thing for me. Let, let's yeah, not mention. Yeah. Fair them. enough. Not giving publicity. The, the Columbine yeah. guys were they they create they set the stage that everybody else is now following. And one of the points this article made that was kind of scary is that that it used to be that you had to be really whacked out to do this. 
But now, because the riot is in motion, mm-hmm. like even seemingly like this kid that just did this was on the football team. He he was he was actually part of a defense that stopped a big a big game for the opposition, and he was actually well liked. And then all of a sudden, some girl rejects him. He goes off, and and now the predictability of who's actually going to do this is act, is is becoming harder and harder. We have to pause when we come back. We're going to hear from Kenny Remire at KLBJ in Austin, Texas. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us from coast to coast and border to border. Wherever you're listening tonight, nice to have you with us. presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. And uh, joining us now via Skype in Austin, Texas, is Kenny Rahmeyer. He is with KLBJ Radio. He uh, joins us every Sunday night as part of what uh, that station offers. Kenny, nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you so much. I begin by asking you to give us a a sense of uh, the local reaction that's come into your program and to KLBJ since uh, the shooting the other day. Yeah, we've done some talk shows since then, Bruce, and, uh, of course, a lot of anguish, a lot of frustration, a lot of sadness. And it's kind of a mixed bag, you know. Some believe guns not the issue. Certainly mental health issues continue to be unresolved in the school settings. You know, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick was out there today talking about securing the schools and, and having more hardened facilities and having the teachers have some guns and so forth. So. All of those things are a part of the mix. And then we had a caller this afternoon, Bruce, that said, look, you can do everything you want, but you're still not going to be able to identify that lone wolf. And, you know, this guy, at least based on the investigation so far, very few, if any, red flags. Now, we learned from ABC today that he apparently had studied some of the other mass shootings. They're finding that out from some of the journals that Mm -hmm. he left behind. Uh, but they believe he acted alone. They're not looking to charge anybody else. They had a couple of uh, suspects or persons of interest, you know, but uh, it appears he's the only one that's going to be charged. And the other thing, Bruce, that's really popped up in the last, I'd say, 24 hours is the mother of one of the deceased believes that her daughter's rejection of this guy's uh, overtures over a period of several months may have been one of the factors that led him to do this. Right. And in, in this particular case, I mean, uh, and I said a little bit a few moments ago, there isn't really uh, all the common denominators are not the same in these school shootings because on the appearance, and by the way, uh, it is the policy of our show, we don't, we don't name the shooter. We'll refer to him as the shooter. I don't want to give him any more that. notoriety. But right. again, I think it's important to know what we know and share what we know about him. In this particular case, he did not. He was on the football team. You know, he appeared to be a member of the Honor Society. That's one of the reports that I had earlier. And again, when you come right down to it in this particular case, he had access to his parents' or his father's guns. 
That happens probably a lot in Texas and a lot around the United States. But the yeah, other you know, thing in this particular case, and again, this was similar to uh, the shooting in Maryland a couple of months ago, and that is the rejection by the young man of, uh, of a young lady. And so how many times in America does that happen with a teenager? Exactly. I mean, it, it's, the, hey, it's right. a story of my no. teenage life. <laughs> but <laughs> but you, you, have to, you have to worry about that. And as a parent, either, you know, as a parent of uh, daughters, um, I worry if, if, if they're going to become the object of somebody's um, unrequited love. And, yeah. and that's something very important. Now, again, going back to something that Charles and I discussed, and I don't know, um, Kenny, maybe you can speak to this a little bit, um, but... There, there is, there is a sense that there was a private life that the parents weren't aware of, like the, the, the building of these weapons, buildings of explosives. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe you can talk more about that, Kenny. What you know on the ground there, but it, it, you, you referenced some journals where he had written some things. He had been following things. This is a private life um, of building up this anger and this violence that people were not aware, parents aren't aware of, and that that's a big question. Kenny, do we know anything about it? Really, uh, the parents have told uh, through attorneys to ABC News that they repeatedly have said they just didn't think he was capable of this kind of violence. They said that uh, they're in the dark, they were stunned and shell-shocked, and they are looking for answers like everyone else at this point. That you know, rings uh, hollow. That rings hollow with me because he had communication out there on social media. I'm not calling the parents liars. I'm calling them clueless. I'm not sure which is worse. No, you're right. There was a lot of uh, troubling posts in social media, and they're continuing to, to look at that stuff. You know, some pretty, some pretty dark stuff, some, uh, some stuff related to guns and all the rest. One other thing I'll bring up, you know, Chief Art Acevedo, who used to be our police chief here in Austin, he's now police chief in Houston. He was on CBS TV this morning, and he was talking about the need for tougher penalties for parents. Now, here in Texas, they're called negligent storage laws. I'm getting this from the Houston Chronicle. And, you know, it's a misdemeanor. It's, uh, we're talking about fines and, and maybe a year in jail. But I think he was calling for much tougher penalties for parents who don't safely secure their weapons. Did the father make any comment about uh, how the kid got the weapons? I've not seen anything about no, that up to this I. point, Bruce, have not. Charles Lipson has a question for you. It's less a question than a comment. I think that what you're going to see is movement toward artificial intelligence for scanning social media, not only for this kind of behavior but for possible terrorism. I think that there would be interest in DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. I think that you can imagine Google and Facebook, uh, Instagram and others who would say, who are now being increasingly held responsible for the fact that they're not getting ISIS videos or other things down quickly. And I, but I think that there are real civil liberties concerns if you begin to target people. This is free speech. If the person is saying things other than a direct threat, I'm going to do X, I'm going to do something harmful to Bruce Dumont, and then it's it's, just free speech. It's public communication. So public communication is fair game for investigative agencies to use as they see fit. This is public public information. But I think this will be a target for increased artificial intelligence to find this stuff in advance. uh, Kenny, your reaction. 
that may be a part of it. I know uh, CEO Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook has challenged his team. In fact, they came back with a proposal of hiring thousands of people using more AI and all that, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And he said, no, that's not enough. We've got to do more. Uh, one thing I will point to, Bruce, is Governor Abbott, of course, is going to begin having some roundtable discussions on Tuesday with what he calls all the stakeholders. That doesn't seem very satisfying to, I think, many of us here in Texas. Governor Abbott is pointing to a, a pilot program out at Texas Tech that has, uh, in short, it's designed to try to identify those kids in junior high or high school who are at risk of committing violence and to intervene before that happens. And they're showing some measure of success to the extent that Governor Abbott's pointing to that as a model and saying we ought to, ought to do more of that. I challenge my listeners on the show today, Bruce, to say what can be done mm -hmm. over the course of the summer. Right. You're not going to fix mental health issues. Nope. You're not going to have any gun control legislation or anything. So what can you do in 90 days to give parents and students a higher degree of confidence that starting this fall, something's going to be different in terms of safety in those schools. Uh, Bruno Barron has got a comment for you, Kenny. Uh, Kenny, directly to that point, um, I've read articles. This was one of them was post uh, uh, the floor, after the Florida incident that uh, talked about teachers. Some teachers, for example, having various processes by which they they try and look at the students that are shunned or the students that are teased or mistreated and they try and bring them into the fold. Um, right. And that sounds like that's something that Gover uh, Governor Abbott might be looking for, is that to not, like, not only trying to spot people in advance, but actually trying to change the, the interior culture or the way people are treated, uh, if for no other reason than to, to let some of these people know that there's, there's a way for them to get into the main, you know, into the social uh, setting in a school as opposed to being shunned and pushed outside of it. Any, right. any this, word on something like that? Well, this program at Texas Tech tries to get these identified youths with some mental health counseling early on, you know, that sort of thing. I think what you're referring to, I've heard, uh, I believe her name is Nicole Hockley, one of the moms of one of the victims from Sandy Hook. Yep. can't remember the name of the program, but she's really been putting a push on that to identify these loners and to how to, how to, uh, you know, kind of get them in the fold, so to speak, and have kids and teachers reaching out to them more. Well, it so comes down, it comes down I would it. say, uh, Kenny, are you hearing these words d down there in Texas? Yes. Conflict resolution. It comes down to how does one deal with conflict, whether the conflict is in their mind or whether it's in a public place. We have shootings in Chicago, certain neighborhoods every weekend where people resolve conflicts with guns. Uh, to me, it's, it starts in the home. It is Society has a responsibility, but I think Stephanie's – go ahead. Well, I was going to say, now we're getting to a very, very personal level, and that is for as long as there have been humans, and certainly in America, as long as there have been high schools, there have been cliques, there have been groups, there have been kids that have been bullied. And I know for years, I mean, you know, when my daughters were going through middle school, they tried something on a slightly different level, but same idea is finding those girls that were bullied, finding girls that feel like they're left out. It's all well-intentioned, but we're humans, and, you know, we interact with each other in very various ways. Those things, they, they sound good, but they're very hard to implement, and they don't always work because it really comes down to 
again, parents, kids, think, how I, are you raised? What I, kind of person are you? That is part of it. But I also think, you know, and again, there will be the discussions in the coming weeks about the guns and the mental health and everything else. Is there is a and, and also I think the the, the kids from from Parkland have did, pointed and said you know at the federal government and at lawmakers hey you know you you're you're dropping the ball you're not making schools safe for us I think that's a legitimate question to ask of the leadership but I would also expand it and 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 really throw the conversation back to the young people you you live in this environment how how do you treat people there was a report that one of the one of the leaders of the of the parkland group is someone that that basically had uh, had had had, a, had had embarrassed uh, you know the guy that did the shooting there it it's the point of the interaction of people who as you say who are in the click and people who are outside of the click the only people that are going to deal with a parent is not going to deal with that the only people that are going to deal with that are their peers. And they Those know. Are, Kids sure know. Don't. They can tell you who is and who isn't. That's right. We've got to move on. Kenny, thanks very much for being with us tonight from yes, sir. Thanks, KLBJ. Chris. Kenny Rahmeyer, a veteran talk show host, part of our Sunday night bill affair on KLBJ. <laughs> I'm Bruce Dumont. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes, to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we're talking about the uh, shooting in Santa Fe, Texas. We'll also be talking about other issues as the program unfolds this evening. Uh, in the first segment, I referenced that uh, Tom Scher, one of our guests this evening, uh, 30 years ago today was uh, the first m- shooting at a school, an elementary school outside of uh, Chicago in uh, Winnetka, Illinois. You were one of the first reporters on the scene. And... Uh, to refresh people about that story, and again, it may seem calm in comparison, mm-hmm. but the fact that it really it started a trend that uh, we're dealing with in Santa Fe, uh, you know, Texas, and that is, in this particular case of Lori Dan, this was a very troubled young lady. She had given more signals <clears throat> to more people, her parents, psychiatrists, uh, her ex-husband, her ex-boyfriend. I mean, the list of, 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 of uh, grievances against her before she took uh, her weapons and shot up that school were massive, massive. Yes, she was known to police as a problem, but she wasn't known as someone who uh, was likely to commit a violent act. Uh, there had been some harassing things, some stalking issues, things like that. Uh, they, th- she had babysat for that family, the family of the two kids she went to shoot at the school, who, as I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier in the show, were not there that day. Um, but there were signs that she was a problem, and the police, she was known to them, and they had dealt with her. What about the parents? Um, th- that's that's the, in- the issue that has never, in my view, been s- sufficiently addressed. But she, the, the parents didn't do enough to 
uh, care for her mental health. On the other hand, she was an adult. The parents were legally prevented right. from doing certain things. So at some yeah, point... she was 30 years old at the yeah, time. Yeah, at some point things are going to happen that you cannot avoid. And no one, no one has a, a cure-all for this. Mm-hmm. But back then, the one thing I'm stuck with is she had one weapon, a handgun. And I think what we're, we're getting away from the core issue of most of these shootings here. The issue is not school, safe, uh, school safety. The schools are pretty safe. The issue is what happens before the school, what type of weapons are being used. And that's the scariest part of all. L- Lori Dan had a handgun, and thank goodness she was not able to shoot more kids. One died. One nearly died. They saved her life at Evanston Hospital, just north of the city. But, um, in, her, but in her particular yeah. case, she went after people because she had, she had vengeance against yes. them. Yes. She singled people out. They were not random like Correct. some of the students that we've seen recently in recent shootings, with the exception of what happened in Santa Fe. I mean, this is the first time that there's, there's been a mother that has said, okay, this is, a, this is a guy that was way too aggressive on my daughter. She embarrassed him in class. And then when he came in with his guns, he went after her, and she was the first one shot and killed. So, and the other, he shot people, he only shot people that he didn't like. Right. So, I mean, this is a guy with a plan. Right. It wasn't right. just random shooting. And he, he declared that. That's, he declared that. But, you know, Social media. it is interesting, though, in almost all of these cases, though, there is, it may not have been as personal as, or as specific, but there is generally an anger, a problem with the community at large, maybe not in an individual, but we saw that. Um, you know, in the Parkland case, that people felt rejected, maybe m- not rejected by a specific person, but maybe by the community as a whole or by a class as a whole or by teachers. There were, I believe it was Parkland, where there was actually a teacher that he was frustrated with. So there are, um, there are these projections from the shooters of some sort of retaliation, some revenge that's going into these. Um, but it's a, a, a couple of issues, uh, Stephanie. One is it's hard to know what you would do in advance if there's not a specific threat. You said, for example, she wasn't known to be violent, but let's assume she was even known to have violent tendencies, but there had not been a specific threat against anyone. It's hard to know what the police could do. Right. But the, In her case, there was a psychiatrist that said she was okay. Okay, yes. and this is a particular issue. But the, there's a, another issue, which is we're working backwards from someone who's known to have done the shooting. Mm. If we work the other way and said how many people are violent or angry or have been rejected by a girlfriend or boyfriend, right. we would find quite a lot of them. Yes. And what the heck are you going to do about this large number of people without violating a lot of people's right. civil rights? Well, and, and that goes to the point I made earlier about how the, the, the threshold for craziness, you know, and I don't mean that in a negative or a derogatory way. accepted, of yeah, course. Uh, yeah. The, the threshold for how, how nutty or how off-balance these people are is dropping dramatically. I mean, this guy gets rejected by a girl, and he decides to do something like this. And, and, and you know, probably, like, if you to use some kind of mental health screening on that this, this yeah. gentleman, right gentleman, guy, right before it happened— it might not have triggered anything, whereas the Parkland, the Parkland shooter was going to trigger all kinds of things, right? I mean, I think Parkland is probably the one example 
of the failure of law enforcement. It was F- completely avoidable. FBI completely. law enforcement. Yeah, yeah. This was something where, and, and so you have to, we have to ask ourselves, and, and, and uh, Charles, I think you're, you're getting into the thing about civil rights, but at some level, um, we're going to have to ask ourselves whether we want to take the kind of prophylactic measures that might be necessary to stop some of these things, or conversely, not just hardened schools, but more armed guards, more armed teachers. And those are coming. Out. And, and let, 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 let's, let's, I've got to say this, all right? This idiotic idea was put forth first, and I didn't mean to insult you, Bruno, because I'm talking about Donald Trump was the first significant official I ever heard say, arm the teachers. That is the stupidest idea I have ever heard in my life. You, you, arming the teachers, so you're going to have a teacher down the hall armed, but the shooter's on the other side of the school shooting up that classroom. Are we going to arm every teacher? That's insane. The schools are Can virtually I... safe enough. Maybe some more armed guards, I get that. Police officers, such as the one in Dixon who saved a tragedy there. But arming teachers is ludicrous. Um, really quickly on that specific point, I think that there's, there's still a conversation to be had. I understand your critiques, and I think what when, and I actually put that up on Facebook, and I had a lot of pushback from it, so I kind of thought about it, and I addressed it this way, is that I, to the extent that it were, would be teachers, I would say a couple of things. Number one, uh, only after what I would call serious, almost paramilitary-style training, that they volunteered for, that they knew what they were doing. I, I, I would say that if a teacher wanted to engage in that, and I would even I would even talk about increasing their pay or something like that. So I wasn't just talking about you know Donald Trump getting them all six guns and putting on the belts and pretending they were Raylan Givens or something. Uh, basically, just saying that it would be something that they would be volunteering for and training for specifically and and aggressively. So I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that I agree with you a hundred percent on your. Uh, on your critique, but I think it's a conversation <clears throat> worth having. Well, Something I, I want to just say, if I can just make a comment about, uh, about Donald Trump. And regular listeners to the show will know that one of the things about Donald Trump that I like is that he said things in the campaign that he was going to do, and he's doing them. He's a politician who's doing what he said he's going to do. And he, this was based on the litany of, of issues that he recited during the campaign. Sometimes when you get elected president, there are issues that come up that, that aren't on your wish list. They're not on the list of things that you promised, right. and, and they just fall on your plate. The issue of school shootings and Parkland and what the president did following the, the, the series of White House listening sessions, which I praised on this program, even though I said the idea of school arming teachers was not a good idea, he showed a compassionate side. He showed someone that had a capacity to do something that was going to be unpopular with his base. And And he was hailed by it. And he completely caved. So in my view, that insofar as an issue that popped onto Donald Trump's desk that he didn't ask for, as the president, as the leader of the country, he's failing the people on this issue. It isn't just failing his base. Forget about the base. He's failing society He's failing making life better in America. Despite the rhetoric of what he said he was going to do, he hasn't done it. What specific thing was that? that you're, uh, he was specifically talking about that there was going to be background checks. Some of the things that he talked about, Rick Scott did in Florida. Some mm-hmm. of those things. But the other things about he was going to get the, 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 the NRA to sort of you know, rethink some of their positions on, on a number of issues, hasn't done it. 
-hmm. That was not the speech he gave when he went to the NRA. Completely different speech. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying is the compassion. I mean, this is when Donald Trump, the first session that he had, which was with the parents and students, he actually shut his mouth and he listened. That was a very positive thing. Mm-hmm. Then the next day, when he brings the governors in, then he starts talking about possibly the teachers, and that—that's when the whole the whole issue went, you know, well, went I, all I about with the teachers. That, but the guy, the, yeah. the, the the guy, he absolutely missed a golden opportunity, and if and and he seized that opportunity, what happened in Santa Fe? Texas might not have happened. Well, and what we're seeing is that his initial reaction was Donald Trump the human um, with the compassion and so on. And then what we see is, sadly, what happens to a lot of people, and then somehow politics intervenes. And, you know, people get involved, and then he's going to have to walk back maybe what he genuinely feels. And I think he reacted in a very common-sense way, a lo- way a lot of people felt. And, um, and sadly, you're right. Somehow politics intervened somewhere, and he had to back it off. I haven't heard anybody in the Republican Party or anybody who can call themselves a conservative, even the conservative Democrat. We all know where most Democrats are in gun control. No one is willing to go down the slope a little bit and have meaningful gun control in this country. Now, different... This, this case in Texas, he didn't have bump stocks and automatic weapons and semiotic weapons right. and large clips and changing clips during the shooting, which other shooters have done. He didn't have an automatic weapon like the Las Vegas adult who shot at other adults in a public concert had. But most of the shootings are like that. Why the weapons exist, why people have the right to get them is shocking to me in this country. It's, it's foolish. It's, it's folly. I will say this. Even the most ardent gun control advocate who has to admit the most liberal person has to admit that if we outlaw all guns, all guns, criminals will still have guns. They will get them and they will use them. These have not been criminals. We need to cut down the margin, eliminate the automatic weapons, the semi-automatic weapons, the big clips, all of that stuff. That's what we ought to be doing. That's what all the, the critics have really been talking about. That's right. And we'll be back with more in a moment. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. First of all, back in Chicago, uh, we've got one more segment on this topic. Let's go to Dave, listening to us in El Paso, Texas, on KTSM. Go ahead, Dave. You're on the air. Thank you very much for letting me comment. I'll be brief. Uh, one of your panel members really denigrated the idea of arming teachers, but right. in seven, 17 states already allow that. And so the president, and, and it's been going on since, 19, I think, 2011 or 2013, so it wasn't the president who introduced this idea. We do it in the state of Texas. Colorado does it. 17 states people. allow it, sir. How many teachers are actually armed? Well, I, I mean, roughly speaking. State, po- no, 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 sir. The point is, is you denigrated the idea as being a stupid idea, but several teachers in those states are armed. So it's the, not a stupid idea, according to the governors of 17 states. The go- for, there well, I should good- also say yeah. very emphatically... I am a Democrat. I am, I am a left of center, uh, pardon me, a right of center I Democrat. I know, I, I know you probably figured out I'm a Democrat. I'm in favor of concealed carry. I want to make that very clear. I think concealed carry has not at all been a failure. So 
Go ahead. I'm sorry, Charles. A couple of good points uh, that are that are useful about these 17 states. First, we want to see what works, and sometimes that just happens with experimentation. One of the problems here is that the goal of having uh, uh, armed teachers, for example, is not primarily to take down an active shooter, but it? to deter people from coming in and doing these things in the first yeah. place. If the person is coming in to do suicide by by police or whatever, then the fact that you have armed teachers wouldn't wouldn't have any effect. But but well, we just well, don't would, know if it's deterred people. Dave, yeah. Dave, let I me would, ask. I would suggest Go ahead. to you. I would suggest to you that um, in, in most cases, and I think I'm agreeing with you to some extent. In most cases, uh, teachers are the only adult in the classroom, and they're not going to be even if they have a weapon. They're not going to be able to leave the classroom. They're not going to be inclined. Their first duty is to the 30 students or how many other students are in their classroom. However, there are some situations where there are two adults in a classroom, maybe even three sometimes. It could be a sports team practice, et cetera, et cetera. And in those cases, one of those teachers, if he was duly trained and had the disposition to do so and had the, the authority to do so, could in fact augment local law enforcement and be the first responder. Now, in my situation, and I used to teach at one of the local schools here, I had a second teacher. I also had a secure place where I could lock my students. And so if, in fact, our school had been had gotten into a situation and our school district was one of the ones in Texas, if it were one of the ones in Texas, it's not, unfortunately, that allowed armed teachers, I would not have had any qualms going out using my prior military training and my training as a concealed carry holder to confront probably someone who was less, uh, well less trained than I am. Bruno Barron has a question or comment, uh, Dave. Well, so I yeah. actually, uh, Dave, it's not really so much a question, it's a comment. I actually like the way you're approaching it, and it, it's the way I think more of us, left and right, should approach problems as we start trying to think, think them through. Um, there's mall shootings. There are college shootings. Church shootings. Uh, church shootings. Oh. So these are, these are all kinds of things that kind of, and the, we, all, we all focus on the school shootings more probably because it's a, it's a school that people are younger, there's, they're, they're more innocent or, or whatever you, you want to look at the way that, that they, they reason they impact us so much. But I like the way you're thinking because what, what I'm looking at is that maybe it's not arming teachers per se as like a single bullet, the silver bullet that's going to fix everything, but to say what is the best way to harden schools for stuff like this while we try to figure out how to solve the rest of the problem culturally yeah. or mental illness-wise. One more, one more comment real quick about Go hardening ahead. schools. And I, don't understand, I don't understand why uh, the idea of introducing or, or using uh, magnetic door locks on a larger scale has not really been seriously discussed. Magnetic what? Um, door locks. I, I, magnetic door locks, oh, okay. for example. A long, long time ago, when I was a company commander in the Army, we had issues with uh, soldiers uh, leaving or inviting uh, young women into the barracks at night because the doors could not be secured. Well, that was solved, and it was solved by retrofitting the doors with magnetic locks that were controlled by – that had a central control in in the barracks. So the soldiers could not open the door without uh, the, the alarm being triggered, and and really, once the door was was locked, it it really couldn't be unlocked except by the individual mm-hmm. uh, the, the charger quarters, and that's done all over the place. Magnetic locks. You you you. I mean, I just don't would understand. Would there be why would there be a would there be a fire uh, escape issue, no, Dave, that would be brought up? 
Not, not at all, because, again, uh, you know, uh, fire alarms are, are controlled usually by uh, the campus administration, okay. and the campus administration will be able to trigger the, the appropriate locks to let the students leave the, the campus. In your, in your particular case, and by, we've got another caller on the line, but I, I want to ask you one question because you're from El Paso, Texas. It's, it's off topic, but I want you to give me kind of a short version. We obviously talk a lot about illegal immigration in this country. It's a huge political issue. That obviously is an issue that's, that's hot and heavy in El Paso, Texas. How, how bad or good is the issue of illegal immigration in your hometown of El Paso? Um, is it horrible or big, is it okay? Big, well, it, it's, a big, it's a big problem in, in that there are large numbers of, um, of undocumented or illegal uh, people uh, residing in our city and mm-hmm. going to our schools. Um, it, it's a, it's certainly a, a, I won't call it a burden, but it certainly is an expense that's borne by the school district. But you know, there's not a lot of crime here, and and I think the the main the main place we see it is that um, maybe in suppressed uh, wages for um, for high school dropouts and things like that. Mm-hmm. But as far as causing, seeing the types of crimes that we're seeing in, in some other places where. Uh, we're just not seeing those here in El Paso. Okay, Dave, listen, thank We're you very much. We're not seeing a lot of the problems. Thank you very much for your perspective. A good call tonight. Nice to have you listening to us on KTSM, one of our oldest affiliates. Uh, we're going to stop uh, chatting about this particular issue. If you're standing on the line, uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get to you. However, we'll be back for another full hour. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court, sports betting, North Korea, and Donald Trump. presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. 
That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. First, come on back in Chicago talking about what's happened in the world of politics and uh, uh, some of the issues that we normally talk about, we'll either not talk about this evening. I think we could probably go through a discussion without talking about Robert Mueller, but who knows? Maybe Tom wants to bring him up. Uh, but Let's bet on that. Let's bet on that. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the big stories uh, last week, and again, it's not, not something we normally talk about in this program, but again, it's the Supreme Court decision on, uh, on sports betting. And uh, Tom Shearer, you were a a longtime guest on this program, and your expertise is in sports reporting uh, as well as a distinguished career in, in news as well. Uh, how big is this story? And, and the big question I would have is, what's it going to do to the culture of America? Oh, I think that's the – you asked the key question, Bruce, which – Thank you. That's we, why I get paid the big I'm telling you, this is, this is the, <laughs> yeah. nobody has well, asked Brown this question. Brown knows. Kiss, 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 Tom. This is terrible. Nobody has asked this question. I haven't heard a single discussion of it. What's it going to do to the culture, all right? Gambling is so prolific in the United States now. You can go into a a supermarket and buy a $20 scratch-off lottery ticket. You can blow $100 on five scratch-off lottery tickets from a vending machine 20 feet from the cash register, all right, where you're buying milk for your kids. Uh, the, the gambling is all over the place. It's going to be even more all over the place now because what it's going to do, Bruce, it's going to take something that's been going on, wink, wink, nod, nod for uh, a century, betting on sports, illegal betting on team sports. It's going to put it out in the open. Uh, this is a huge story. Estimates are it's $150 billion a year shadow industry uh, separate from Las Vegas where, the, where it's mm-hmm. legal. Uh, I think it's going to be huge. I think we're going to have some mistakes made along the way before we get it right with individual states, how they do it. But it's, it's a big, big, big story. Bruno, you are our card-carrying libertarian. What do you think about this decision? Well, I, I think that it clearly it was you know, crony capitalism and, and uh, lobbying that got the bill passed so that only Las Vegas could do this. And I, you know, you've already seen gambling spread way beyond Las Vegas and Atlantic City. It's everywhere now. So libertarian wise, I'd have to say, you know, if it's a if it's something that has to be regulated or legalized or do something, do what you have to do, but let it happen. And what I think is interesting from what Tom just said, and my question to Tom and anybody else, is um, doesn't this also mean that it's going to take a good chunk out to the extent that the mob still is involved with this kind of stuff? Which it is. Isn't it yeah. going to hurt them to the degree where now states can at least pass bills to oh, regulate you're some absolutely, of this stuff? You're absolutely right. It, it's, go, it's going to take it out of the shadows, and people are going to be watching games with more of a financial interest, frankly. Um, but the, that's because it's, it'll, out in the open means, yes, it comes away from the shadows, away from organized crime. See, people, a lot of people, they're, they're too, they're, <clears> most people are too young to remember. The lottery 
put the illegal numbers game out of business. Right. The organized crime and what we used to call neighborhood crime, which reported up to the organized crime structure, they had uh, the numbers game, numbers runners. And the, the daily number was based on the results at a racetrack. The racetracks had nothing to do with it. And by the way, I hope the racetracks don't continue to be mistreated. They should get a piece of this. They should also get a piece of slot machines and casino-type games, table games and whatnot, uh, and uh, games of chance. It's a separate issue. But back then, you'd have the last three races at a racetrack. And say the final winners were three seven and one that's your daily number three seven one and there were illegal numbers games in every neighborhood in the country okay Mm -hmm. that was put out of business by the legal state lotteries and i think bruno's right this is going to put the illegal bookies out of business except for those betters who want to bet on credit Mm -hmm. those betters will still go to a bookie because no legal gambling will ever extend you credit but but you also raised another point and that is Okay, now people are going to be watching games who now have a financial interest. So more guess, more than more than as do the now. Mom yeah. in the room and watching my teenage boys go. Not good. Yeah, I now we can bet on it. Now I'm looking at the effect it will have on our culture. I mean, well, you'll have one to of be, the nice you'll, things you'll, is you know you watch a football game, it's all a friendly rivalry. Now we've added this new layer. Well, of you'll financial. have to be you'll have to be 18, and hopefully parents won't bet for their kids. Charles. But you're right. Our, but our, are you that, better? Are you a better? Mistakes in watching Absolutely the not. Our organization was able to adapt to the legalization of liquor. I'm sure we'll be able to adapt to this problem. I think that the. Um, it's pretty good. That Very the, good. Well, thank you. The um, it's it's a second career after academic <laughs> life. Um, I think that um, that. The Supreme Court, first of all, the Supreme Court decision was primary, its biggest effect was on federalism. It said that the federal government can't override states that want to do it another way. I think this will have pervasive effects in returning authority to the states, and I think in general that will be a good thing, even if you don't think sports betting will be a good thing. Secondly, I think that you'll begin to see betting on other kinds of things, including political issues, uh, outcomes. Do we think... On anything. Well, do you think that there'll be a meeting between Kim and uh, Trump on uh, the 12th of June? Or uh, will it occur before the 1st of July? There's no reason why there can't be all those kinds of things. And while some of them are purely, quote, entertainment, and the people who are who are betting on them may consider them entertainment. They will actually give information to people who are making political uh, decisions. But I think that the big story here is actually federalism. Bruno? Uh, I think that as we're talking through the analysis of this, that makes perfect sense, and maybe it should be that way. Um, They just – we used to have political betting markets. It was started off by a professor in Iowa, and then a lot of other people were getting in on it. And up until recently, there are libertarians who were making the case that the betting markets were more accurate than the polls. I don't think the last few rounds of elections have proven that out. I think the polls have been more accurate than the betting markets, particularly with Brexit and Trump. So I'm not really sure how all of that breaks out, but I think you're going to see betting markets expand into a lot of different things. I would like to know, for those listening, 1-800-723-8289, I'd like to know if you are a better are you likely to bet more or less because of this? It's a 6 5 pick them kind of okay, thing, bro. Well, we want to find out. 1 800 723 Your thoughts. Well, by, you know, by the way, any surprises on the 7 3 vote as to uh, where the, the justices came down on no, this? I think, Anybody surprises there? 
I'm I'm actually I heard nothing about it. I mean, I kind of follow loosely what goes on in the Supreme Court and what issues are being uh, looked at. And I didn't even know this issue was being looked at. If I did, I would have been interested in it. But I'm looking at the headlines one day, and it's like uh, Supreme Court legalizes sports betting. Well, well and it's interesting. Was, well, go ahead. The, the trend, and we we can get into talking about the Supreme Court, but. Is this also indicating a, a continued trend in the Supreme Court where more and more decisions are going to be going back down to the states, states' rights? Oh, I think which so. Which shows that conservative trend. Why, Tom? I, I think if you look at the, the, the writings and the positions and the minority, the dissenting uh, uh, opinions that have been written about various things, it's, it's been pretty close to going in that direction for a while. And I think that the, the easiest thing to do sometimes is to punt. And, and I think this is a different type of court, and I think uh, they, they view states' rights as more paramount than previous courts do. I think the big change uh, to moving things to the federal government has occurred over a course of a century. The beginning point was when state legislators no longer selected the senator so that the senator was not really responsible to the state legislature but was responsible to voters. But it expanded quite substantially, as you know, with the bureaucracies after World War II. One of the other areas that I think is, is just the whole fantasy sports world is just going to well, that, crazy. Well, yeah. that's absolutely I wanna, true. I want to come back yeah. and talk yep. about that. And also I want to talk about the reaction of the major professional organizations, sports organizations, uh, to this ruling. Sure. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. This spring, Goodman Theater presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Bruce Dumont, back in Chicago, and uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, we're talking about the impact uh, on culture of uh, the Supreme Court decision, and again, uh, there's a lot of people who, who bet. What percentage of, of America bets, Tom? I think it's a smaller percentage than people realize, but might imagine, but it's bigger than we've expected all along. In other words, it's a $150 billion industry betting, uh, illegal betting on sports events, sports games. So I think there are more people than you might think, but not quite as much as everybody believes will be the case. However, now that you make it easier, I think there will be a lot more. And that, that's my concern. As we continue to expand the ease with which people can gamble, then there's more gambling. On the other hand, at the end of the day, this is a free country. And it's your choice to gamble or not. I can just give you my experience. I don't bet on sports. Maybe, maybe once every couple of years. And when I was, I was a television sports anchor and reporter for years, and I never gambled on sports. One day I bet on the Arlington Million, a race uh, in Illinois, great race, wonderful stakes race. And I bet the race, and I was getting ready for my sports cast, and I'm watching the race. And, of course, my horse lost. And my, my exactas and my trifectas, none of them came in. I lost all my money. And I was in a rotten mood. 
And I decided I don't want to be in a rotten mood again. And I remember when I was in, uh, in my early 20s, I bought my first house when I was 22. And I bet football that year with a bookie. And at the end of the football season, I owed him about $400, which wasn't a terrible amount of money. I was gainfully employed, doing very well in broadcasting. But I thought it was idiotic for me to stand in the lobby of my hotel, of my apartment building, giving him 400 bucks when I'm trying to save money to, to finish uh, the renovations on my new house. So I choose not to, not to gamble. But... So it's a free country. You can choose or not, to choose to gamble or not. But I, I do fear what happens when you make it easier. What right. will happen to major league sports? And, and how have the major sports organizations or leagues, how have they responded to this decision? Is this a corruption issue, Bruce, that you're mostly concerned fi- about? Well, I'm, I'm, I just, just yeah. want well, to I, I well, know about... Do they get a piece of the gate? How much right. money do they get? Do they I, make money on this? I think, yeah. it will, I think it will reduce the likelihood of games being fixed, like point-shaving scandals and things like that. Why? Because if somebody puts – Northwestern University had a point-shaving scandal in football years ago. <clears throat> And for somebody to, and they had it in basketball too, shockingly, a big, a great Big Ten school like that, um, elite school. If somebody puts $10,000 on Akron, a substantial underdog – somebody's going to raise some eyebrows. Why is that going on? Now you don't know if that $10,000 is being bet on Akron because it's being done with bookies under the <clears> table. <throat> but these bets will now all be out, be out in the open. I think it's much less likely. Hmm. And I think the, the, the hmm. sports leagues are the ones who wanted the uh, gambling on team sports to be disallowed. It, it, I don't think it was some economic conspiracy to, to help Vegas and to, to hurt the little guy and, and, and cheat somebody out of their civil what liberties. Was their uh, logic? What was their logic? Sports teams didn't want it because they thought it would lead to corruptions. The only reason now they're saying, okay, we're on board, give us 1%, is because yeah. if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> well, the Supreme, well, the Supreme, but, I mean, that's hypocrisy. There be but the pressure Supreme- on owners now because uh, now, I mean, it's not, just, it's not just that, okay, our team is losing, uh, you know, and the fans still will or will not come out and support them. But now there's going to be this new pressure. My team's losing or – we're losing bets, and no, now there's going to no, be this the, other... No, because the revenue that the, t- that the leagues get will be distributed equally in the, within the league. There, the No league will have, a, will have a system wherein the team that gets bet on to win yeah. the most gets m- m- more money. That's, I, that's a yeah. great point, but that'll never What happen. I think is never? fascinating about this, Bruce, and, and it, 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 I've looked at all of the leagues... Um, my biggest beef with all of the professional leagues is that they're all essentially federally legalized cartels um, that, right. that like, I mean, they, they actively yeah. campaign against more leagues, greater, different leagues, yeah. competitive leagues. Um, and I think that's wrong. Uh, again, the libertarian enemy says, let there be millions and let there be hundreds of leagues and all this other kind of stuff and the nfl and the mlb and all they they love the idea that there's only one big league that everybody in america gets to play in so it wouldn't surprise me at all given my opinion and i love i love i'm I'm not a big sports guy but i like i like the competition of sports the leagues have no power to prevent competing leagues there have been three competing leagues and leagues in two of the four major sports in our lifetime the the usfl the world hockey association the world football league Uh, uh, they all, they all fail because there's not enough talent to go around. It, it, I'm not sure that there's not enough talent. I, I, there's but, not. Well, have you, look, watched, you, have you watched 10 of the 30 oh, Major League okay. Baseball teams Tom, this year? I, I concede <laughs> your greater knowledge of sports, having been a sportscaster, yeah. <laughs> and, and also yeah. the, clearly that you know a great deal about this. And, again, I'm just your typical okay. Fairweather fan, so I'm not going to argue with you on that. I just I would like to see something more where we had, A, sports was not tied into high school, college, and 
and and and professional, but that there was more intramural, like the, as as they do as sports in Europe a little bit better. Well, the sports betting includes college, right? It does everything. Oh yeah, yeah. And okay. that's, so that's, I mean, yeah. I guess when you what differences or difference do you expect in the future? When you go to, let's say, a Major League Baseball game, I mean, is there going to be betting parlors there? Are, are there going to be odds on the on the scoreboard? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there going to be a percentage when a, when a ball player comes up? I mean, well, in terms of broadcasting, how will the broadcast? Yeah. Are you going to be yeah. reporting on the odds? This now. is a great. This yeah. is a great bet. My prediction will be in yeah. the near. <laughs> how much <laughs> money? Okay. I'm, I'm going to bet you five on in that. The, yeah. In the in the near term, the near term yeah. being the next three to seven years. Uh, the, the leagues will not have odds on the scoreboard. Their broadcasters will not be allowed to discuss betting. That's, that's the case now, even though everybody, there's a lot of betting out there. But the hypocrisy of not having that, all we need to look at for an example is the, you mentioned it before the break, Bruce, is the uh, fantasy sports, yeah. DraftKings, and all these daily fantasy leagues. Now, all they are is legal sports betting, although they've been stri- they were, a lot of them were stri- struck Bruce down as yeah. illegal. Um, the sports leagues have been accepting uh, uh, advertising from them. They're in partnership with Will them. they, they be have legal now, Official though? sponsorships. Well, they're going to have to do something because well, how is that any different from putting a legal right. bet down but at as the corner for, As for broadcast. But, but they'll, they'll say we're not in it, but they really are, just like they do with DraftKings. DraftKings and, and uh, these other fantasy if, sports If leagues. the leagues object to it, you won't see uh, a program on ESPN which has uh, major league broadcasting. But you're going to have a lot of networks that don't have those, and they're going to find tremendous incentives to have betting oriented programs on each sport and that will be true on radio and everything else. So I think that the big point that you were making, uh, Bruce, about effect on culture it, the, the fundamental word is normalization. All of this will be normalized in the same way that we used to think numbers running was such an awful thing, and now we think there's a lotto ticket at the supermarket. Yeah. I also wonder just the, uh, the, uh, the culture of going to a baseball game. I mean, right. because there's going to be money riding on every pitch or every, yeah. you know, it could be on every pitch conceivably. Uh, and I, I realize these things are going on, you know, within the stands now in a right. penny ante dollar way. But I'm wondering if it gets to a point where uh, someone, as you say, you know, you, you lost one day and you felt horrible. Well, you could pay $400 and you could have two hot dogs I was, for that. Are going to be more fights well, and here, at games okay, when, if somebody loses? This is what I'm thinking. Or, is, or, or more disparaging of players. As the only woman, yeah, as the yeah. only woman you know, on the, on the panel – my first thought is I don't see women. <laughs> I don't see men. There's this I do. statistic. I haven't confirmed this, but they talk about Super Bowl, and they say the Super Bowl is also the worst night for domestic violence. That's but that okay. is not really true. Okay, that's, but that's that's but been said over and over. Whatever night is, really okay. OJ gets home. How however. <laughs> Exactly. So now we've upped, we've added, and we talked about this a little before, is we've added this new financial interest in the outcome of a game or in the way the you're, game is being played. Yeah, you're and dovetailing. you yourself even said, I was mad uh, yeah. when I lost. Yeah, for anybody who thinks I, was, I couldn't anybody, do my broadcast. The, the, great myth, so, the great myth that that the media has put out in the last week yeah. is that it's going to make games more fun for some people. Uh, I haven't gonna, heard the sports media say but right. general media. Uh, that's false. You're hitting on a good point. It's not going to make the games more fun. 
It's going to make them less fun because you're going to be worried not whether your team loses or wins, but you're going to be worried about whether your money is going to be lost or not. Exactly. I mean, I've seen my husband. Bruce brought up a good point. Are people going to be tougher on the players? Ah, instead of saying you lost, it's you lost, and you cost me a hundred bucks. Exactly. It's 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 going to change the culture of fandom, which is already harsh enough because of labor strikes and all these other issues that have hit sports in the last ten years. You're going also to make sure that and and where where is that where is that anger going to vent? I I don't think the players will bet. The players won't bet because they make so much money now. They're less yeah. vulnerable. And the right. Pete Rose issue, uh, uh, that's, that's that they are aware right. Right. that if you're caught... But it's going, to, it's, going to make, it's going to de-romanticize sports for fans to an even greater extent than has already happened because of labor issues yeah. over will the last 10, goes 20 to co- years. Will money so go to what, colleges? What, what's funny about all this, or maybe not funny, but if you, if you try and look predictively into the future, and I think one of the best things for doing for predicting the future is to look at science fiction, which I think has done a pretty good job of this. But if you look at we look at the the gazillion dollars that is now in the marijuana industry, mm. uh, for right or wrong, whether you, whatever you think yeah. about that issue, look at the look at the money that's going to come into this thing, and the ways that people can make money. And and for the, you know for those listening, I mean, you've got this science fiction future where everything's like really dark and mean and raw and aggressive. Yeah. And everybody's got an angle, and everybody's on the make, and everybody's doing something. And I think that, you know, it, it's interesting because I'm the libertarian at the table, but I'm also probably the most socially conservative, maybe not as socially yeah. conservative as you are, but I'm pretty darn socially conservative. And the interesting thing about this, a libertarian says, hey, all this stuff is going to happen anyway. Social conservative says, yes, but look what it's going to do to the culture. Look right. what it's going to do to people. And I think these are questions worth asking. It's uh, it's a brave new world I we I never thought that I would see a lottery growing up. O- off track betting and horse racing. I love horse racing. I'm not a big gambler, but I like to go to the track and, and bet a little bit. I, I think it's a great sport, uh, but it's gambling. Okay, uh, I never thought I'd see off track betting. OTB. I remember when it came out in the '70s. My father couldn't believe it. He says you can walk because he used to. He you know the guys he knew they'd call a bookie. Our barber was a bookie, and I never even knew it. Yeah. But that it took it out of the shadows and OTB. I never thought I'd see it. And those, the lotteries and everything else. So it's just it makes, you, it makes you study and the game. Now more. it's coming to a ballpark near you. Uh, 1-800-723-8029. When we come back, we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about something else we could probably bet on. <laughs> the Singapore Summit. Is it going to take place or not? The stakes are high. Back shortly. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at BrianSellsTheDesert.com. Bruce Dumont back, wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border. Nice to have you with us. Bruno Barrett, I want to ask you the question before I uh, before we broke, and that is, do you think the, the big summit uh, in Singapore is going to take place June 12th? 
I wouldn't want to bet on the specific day or date, and I don't like being at the mercy of someone like Kim Jong-un or Donald Trump uh, in terms of uh, um, stability, so to speak. But I think it's going to take place, and I don't know what's going to happen with it. Um, I have argued that Trump has done more to move the ball on Korea than all of the last five presidents, and I don't want to predict anything that's going to happen. And it, it could turn out poorly for America. It could turn out well for America. But I think he deserves credit for moving the ball. Tom Scherer, do you agree with that? Uh, I don't. Um, we've come closer than we ever have. Sure, I agree with that. But and therefore what? What's really going to come of this? I mean, we have a president who referred to the, this uh, leader, alleged leader, as um, Little Rocket Man. I mean, does anybody at this table seriously think that Donald Trump is capable of anything in the international arena? He is the least qualified. Little Rocket Man wasn't yeah. offended by that. Why were you? Uh, because I think it lacks dignity. I think he has no clue about international relations, then foreign why, policy. Why is and he all, doesn't have people around him who know. Why he is, wouldn't have fired a secretary of state after three months. Why is all this going on? And, and, and do you not give any credit at all? to Mike Pompeo on, on what he's been able to do ah, in a short period of time I, I do bringing give, three American Koreans home? I do give credit to the current Secretary of State, but bringing home bargaining chips is not new. It's been done in Republican and Democratic administrations for years. What I'm trying to get at is uh, if you look at all the presidents we've had, we've had three governors in recent years, Reagan, Carter, and Clinton, who became presidents of the United States. All of them knew more about how to handle foreign policy than does Donald Trump. This is laughable to me. He's being, used, he's four, being the, used by this guy. Tom, the last four presidents failed to get to where we are right now. How hard totally did they failed. try? Why was it important? Well, I don't Why, know. You tell me. It's I mean, more important to Trump because it's an easy win, because this guy, win being a relative term, because this guy is playing Donald Trump for a sack. We're, ta we're talking about uh, the, the way in which uh, the North Korean leader, uh, dealt with Barack Obama, George Bush, and Bill Clinton. Now, in each of those cases, you had two, two Democrats, two Republicans. What was it about the experts that, that surrounded those brilliant presidents, although some may argue whether they were all brilliant, <laughs> but the, the people that surrounded them, were they were the experts. The experts got nothing done. Zippo. Why is it difficult for Democrats to just acknowledge that, that here's a guy who, who, who may be harebrained and do all, all, be all the negative things you say he is, but you know what? When he said little rocket man and said, you know, my button's bigger than yours, he scared the bejesus out of this guy. And this guy is now coming to the, to the table, we think, unless he's going to throw us another curveball. I mean, the Democrats just can't acknowledge okay, all right, that your on, past foreign policy s system I, 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 sucked. I am a big, I am a big facts guy. Okay, so I'm going to. So gonna, why gonna, I just stated facts. I, I'm going to. That's why I'm going to say this. It is a fact that nobody else got uh, the leader of North Korea to meet. It is a fact that Trump apparently is close to having it accomplished. Let's just stipulate that it's going to happen. I'll be willing to say it is. Okay. okay. All right. So those are facts. And I will also agree that Democrats don't want to give Donald Trump credit for anything. Okay. Right. And I'm one of them. No problem. It's wrong. I apologize. And therefore what? What, what is he? What, he has the meeting. Accomplishing what? Well, accomplishing okay. So we, we don't. First of all, first of all, he's having a meeting. Who's to, bringing the cheese dip? To Tom's point, we don't know what's going to happen. And I read articles on both sides, and I look at what might happen. And it's entirely possible that Donald Trump gets taken to the cleaners by uh, Kim Jong Un and others. But there, 
it's also possible that there might be some big breaks, and we don't know what those are gonna, what's going to happen yet. I will say this, and we've been on the program talking about North Korea with the launch and all the other stuff they've been doing in the last uh, eight years or four years or whatever time that, he's, that they've been working on nuclear issues. And I've, this is what I've always said, independent of Donald Trump. The key to fixing anything in North Korea is China because North Korea is nothing but a rump state. It's a buffer state for China. And I have said on this program – at the risk of a trade war, someone has to go to China and say, if you want your goods sold in this country, you're going to have to do something about your junkyard dog. And, and guess what's happening? That's what's happening. happening. That's exactly that's what's happening. why, yeah. after Charles, Kim's let's... latest trip to China <clears throat> or his foreign minister's trip, the pulling back is particularly significant because it may signal what China is doing. Let me just give you a little bit of the background. Who knows what's going to happen? The only reason uh, Donald Trump has only one sort of broad strategy in security, be strong, have a strong military and that sort of thing. He, he's all about tactics, and the tactics are about negotiations. But that doesn't make him different from most other presidents. I think that the, uh, the fact that he was able to be convincing – in the military threat, which could still happen to North Korea, is the only reason they're at the table. The biggest problem they have is that we made a promise when Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons, which it had after the Soviet Union broke up, that we would defend them, and then we didn't. We made a promise, or we didn't exactly make a promise to Gaddafi, but we let him give up our weapons, and then Hillary Clinton and her State Department, Barack Obama, went in and, in effect, took out his regime. The, the problem, you have to ask yourself, why does Kim want these weapons? In my opinion, he wants them because he wants to keep himself alive and his regime alive. But what about, what about the suggestions? If, if Trump has said that part of his deal is you're going to stay. That's the point. There's going to be no regime change. You're going to stay there. But what he's he's arguing is we're going to make life better for your people and you're going to survive and just put your weapons away. I think if he goes to the summit, all these summits are, uh, the the term they use is they're prepared by Sherpas, the people who lead people to the top of summits. there, There has to be close to an agreement. If they come away with something less than that, expect real danger because we will ratchet up all the sanctions. We, will, we might interdict their ships leaving and so forth. He has to think, Here's I'm a- safer with a deal than without. Right, and I'm, I- I'm, wondering, I'm wondering, is does it make any sense for anyone, including yourself or, or leaders of the administration or John Bolton, for instance, yeah. to go out there and raise, raise this, the, the, the specter of a military response in set in, before this uh, gathering takes place? Is it, is it too much saber-rattling on our side, which could force him to say, you know what, the hell with you. I'm going to just keep going after with my weapons, build my weapons. Which, could we overplay our hand before we even get there? I think, I think that's clearly a a danger. I mean, in, in in all of this stuff, and and we sit around and talk about these things as uh, as people who follow the issues and have, you know, maybe we all at this table all know a little bit more than the average citizen out there in terms of details. But every single one of these things is a danger. But that's the that's the 
when you get to be president of the United States, whether you're a horrible president or a good president or anything, these are the calls you have to make. And I think, I, you know, I've said many times, I'm, I'm probably the most anti-Trump conservative libertarian type out there, and I'm very skeptical of his presidency. Um, I'm just looking at all of this and saying everyone in the world has been betting against this guy, including myself. He's never going to be president, never going to win the nomination. Yep. And the guy just keeps on getting things done. You may, Tom, you may think they're no, horrible things, but I, I'm just I'm, saying I'm, happy, I'm done betting against this guy. I'm happy to put this topic into a silo and address it individually. I think everything else about his presidency is a joke. He's an embarrassment to the country, and history will view him as the worst ever. That said, uh, there's, there's a key factor here that I think is the key to the whole thing. What type of what type of guy is Kim Jong Il? I mean uh, Jong Un. I mean really, does he care about the economic stability and the future of his country if he can stay in power, which I think is a good point Bruce? Oh yeah. You know, there've there've been a lot of leaders who have changed their ways for economic benefit. Anwar Sadat was one of them. Uh, if if he's willing to do that, great. But if Trump is miscalculating, we'll know soon enough. I think we he's can, miscalculating. I don't can, think we, he's a reliable leader in North Korea. I don't think I think it's a mistake if we continue to underestimate Kim Jong-un. And underestimate, I mean, even the ability of a guy who's, who's been painted and who in reality is a real bad guy, a real despot. People always have the ability to change. And he's younger than us, obviously. He's the, he's the new generation. He's looking, at, he's looking at whether he's acknowledging it to the people or not. He knows that his people are not well off. If he can have his you know, the next 30, 40 years of his life locked in because of a deal with Donald Trump, I think you'll take that deal. The people of Zimbabwe got worse and worse and worse off. Uh, but the ruler, Robert Mugabe, was able to stay in power. I think the key is not how well off the people of Korea are, but how whether Kim and the people around him think that they're more likely to survive with a deal than without one. And I think Bruno brought up a good point, China's role in all this. I mean, if the economic incentive doesn't come just from this country, and mm-hmm. the sanctions are not controlled only by us at the end China of the day. China has a particular interest in not seeing the, the uh, peninsula unified with an American ally right on its land border. And don't rule out Russia, which has a small border there, but the, the harder... Uh, China pushes on North Korea, the more North Korea may look to Russia, which is a malevolent actor in all of this. China does not want to be a third wheel in this negotiation. They sure don't. And they've already reasserted themselves themselves already in the Pacific, in that region. And which, so it's going to be, you're right, it's going to be really important that North Korea stay as a North Korea and not unify with South Korea. Also, I will repeat what I said a couple of months ago. When this summit takes place, watch out for Vladimir Putin. Yes. He will do something to upstage <laughs> the summit yep. in yep. Singapore. Back shortly from Chicago. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications.
Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and uh, uh, we didn't quite make it through the entire program without talking about Robert Mueller, but we do want to talk about it because today is the first anniversary of uh, uh, when the investigation began. What's the present for the first anniversary I, for uh, special is counsel, paper? Paper. Bruce? Paper. paper. Oh, uh, 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 I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or how about a report, how finally? A report, how about some conclusions on paper? How about, I want to ask you, I, I know where Tom is going to come down on this issue, but <laughs> after, after one year, uh, what is your take on what's happening with the president and what's happening with the Mueller investigation? And do you think it's going to find uh, a smoking gun? I don't think it's going to find a smoking gun. I think that we're seeing it take its course. If there was a smoking gun, he would have found it by now. And everything they, you know, Democrats keep talking about all these indictments and things. Well, let's look at what people are being indicted for. They're peripheral issues. They have nothing to do with collusion. Um, and it is, I do believe it. I mean, it's a witch hunt. That's these special prosecutions become that way when you, when you can't solve the original problem, there's no limitation on where you can let these paths yeah, take we, I, 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 I want to get Bruno's special, reaction. Uh, Bruno reaction. Um, I think both sides on this are living in their own universe. And the right says that Hillary Clinton's going to be indicted and that the deep state clearly tried to take out Trump. And there's all sorts of evidence for that with the CIA and the FBI and the fake dossier and all this other stuff. And the left says Trump is going down tomorrow. Mueller's got the whole world on him, and they're going to drop it like a ton of bricks. And I see evidence that there, there's evidence for both of those things to be true. Charles Lipson, what do you think is going to happen? I see that there are uh, three separate issues. The first is that Mueller was appointed as a special counsel to give us confidence that there would be a disinterested uh, uh, research and report on what was really going to happen. I don't think there is such confidence, and I think that Mueller's uh, decision to appoint the kind of team he did undermined a lot of that confidence. I also think, of course, that Trump's people are doing as much as they can. I think the second thing... As much as they can to, dis- to undermine. Uh-huh. I think the second thing is, did the FBI... Uh, do an honest, uh, fair investigation of Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation? I think the answer to that is obviously no. The fix was in. I think that the third thing is whether the the initial investigations of the Trump campaign, which began as a counter-intel investigation, were started with an adequate predicate, and I think the answer to that is no. But I do think that there were reasons to be concerned well, I don't understand. I don't, under- I don't understand why it's always inevitable that whenever an investigation of any Republican is discussed, the Clintons get thrown in there again. Uh, we did have a witch hunt with a special prosecutor. You're right. Ken Starr spent twenty-seven million dollars, and all he found was illicit sex acts in the Oval Office. I so, agree. I yeah. agree. And, and there was another witch hunt where you, Leon Jaworski. All they did was find uh, felonies committed by Richard Nixon and his staff in Watergate. So I would hardly describe being sarcastic when I say witch hunt there. So special special prosecutor, uh, prosecutors are a good thing, in my opinion. What's going to happen here? Donald Trump will be an unindicted co-conspirator in something. What? I don't know. I don't pretend to have all the answers. But I think there's something there. And just because it's, uh, Mueller On now agrees... No, he now that? He now agrees that you can't indict a sitting, uh, sitting president. Don't forget, Richard Nixon was an unindicted co-conspirator. 
So I, I just I open my eyes and see what I see. I don't see all the documents. I, the I reason can't. Hillary came in is it looks as if the FBI didn't act as it's supposed to. Okay. See, well, it seems to me also that what has happened is in the last, let's say, seven or eight months, the Republicans uh, and Rudy Giuliani now is the main cheerleader. He's making the case that uh, the quality of people that were there in the investigation, whether it's Comey or or, or Mueller or Mueller's team, uh, that uh, they're, they have partisan axe to grind. Certainly with this, the Peter Skorich, uh, that that's that besmirched the reputation of the FBI. There's two or three people now senior people in the FBI whose reputations are under, paying are under, a price, are under suspect. We're paying a price for something very large, which is that there are almost no institutions in American life now that have wide public respect. The only one really is the military. You, in the government and all these investigations, the only one that currently commands respect is Horowitz, and that's only because he hadn't turned in the report yet. The to that point, and I think this is something. And look, I've said all along that they might get Trump on something, and an unindicted co-conspirator might be some might be it. But I think, I mean, you're looking at a dossier that was financed by the Clinton campaign that would end up being put together by a British spy, being paid for by a partisan uh, opposition research outfit that ended up being used to bootstrap into a FISA warrant that probably shouldn't have been there. When Trump tweeted, I remember when Trump tweeted that he was being spied on at the very beginning, I think it was even... Laughed at. He was laughed at, and 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 now it turns out out that he's actually been right on at least that issue. Um, So... I think you he also pe- said that the Russians didn't try to interfere in the election. That's been proven true. Well, but he was know, wrong. I, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying Trump is right or wrong. Rev- I, okay. I'm just saying that yeah. that there's there's an and you talk about bringing the Clinton people into the there is a case to be made that there was an abuse of power on the part of the Obama right. administration to in, to involve themselves in a political campaign, well, which is also, what Nixon did, and also and, the and involvement, this, and also now the, the the idea of an FBI informant. Exactly. Now, whether or not he was actually inside right. the camp or whether he was a spy. Well, I don't think he fits the definition of spy, but clearly there was somebody out there who I, the FBI what he was, was doing and they, and they were trying to fish for information. Right. I would make, he was be, fishing. Yeah. That may not be a bad thing. If, there, was, if they have reason to believe that there was Russian interference and he's out there asking questions to find out, I don't think that's terrible. If he's trying to plant information, that looks well, like that entrapment. that becomes entrapment, and that's what most people see that as... So Here's we need to know more. Right. I've always what said. What has happened after a year is that the sides have gone to their respective sides. And if you're a Republican, you think one thing. And if you're a Democrat, you think the other thing. And regardless of what Robert Mueller says or what reports are going to come out, I think there's going to be virtually zero votes that will be affected. Are we going to the mattresses, bro? going to the mattresses. But the big votes are those who vote on impeachment. That's, that's right. If there is, if the Democrats want to move that as an issue, which the we'll Republicans talk about, might Nancy want will, it, yes. which we'll talk. I doubt that, but we'll talk about that <laughs> next week. Our thanks uh, again to our guests, uh, Charles Lipson and Tom Scher and Bruno Berend and Stephanie Hitt. I'm Bruce Dumont. Our thanks also to Fritz Goldman and to Dan Dorfman and to Sam Greenberg for their assistance in the production of this program. Good night from Chicago. Goodman Theater presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. 
From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. <laughs> 